Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Welcome back, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show brought to you by Uncle T, where we go deep into the season's contenders for the college football playoff. I'm Bob Akairi, and I'm joined, as always, by Shahan Jayaraja, national college football writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X at CFB Survivor Show, where you can participate in our poll. Send us feedback. We always appreciate it when you Talk to us there or take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe our show wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews on Apple and the like always help people find us. Well, we're heading into the crunch time, the final week of the regular season, and nothing really changed. Everyone won out last weekend. Chang, what are your thoughts about what happened this past weekend in college football? It feels like this whole season has just been like edging it feels like this whole thing has just been so close to all of these upsets and none of them seem to happen obviously this last week uh we have a competitive michigan game 31 to 24 against maryland where they easily could have lost we have washington a a two-point win over oregon state we have been so freaking close to so many of these games flipping a different direction And it just hasn't happened as yet. But the good news is one of the top four is guaranteed to go down this week. Why? Is there a game? (laughs) Or or the Uh, game? game. I think that it's what it's called. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, Yale did win the game. But no, no, setting that aside. um, Yeah, so we've got to do, we've got to eliminate somebody off the island, even though everyone won out. So that leaves, I mean, we did a poll. And and Sean, how did the poll go on this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, this is the Survivor Show, so we do have to unfortunately vote somebody off. Uh, the three options that I put up, I put up Texas, had a little bit of a squirrely game at times against Iowa State, but was able to pull out a 26-16 victory. I put up Florida State, a, a 58-13 to win over North Alabama, but we'll have to talk about some other stuff that came out of that game. And Louisville, which survived once again this past week. Uh, They are, I I don't know how this team continues to do this. A 38-31 win over Miami. Miami actually caught a Hail Mary at the end of the game, but it was short of the end zone. It it was a classic Kevin Dyson. And uh, man, Louisville uh, right now, 10-1 heading into Kentucky. But one of these three teams has to go. Now, now first ask, should any of the other teams, these are the three that I picked, should any other teams have been on our list of teams to vote out? The I can't credibly come up with another. I mean, this was a tough pick. They even pick three yeah, teams yeah. that are on the block. And I get why the injury kind of put Florida State in that group. I mean, the only thing would have been a symbolic you know, hey, Alabama, why did you play a SoCon team? But, you know, that's not really credible. I don't, you know, I I don't have any lesser expectation of Alabama than I did before. 
So you're right. I think those were the three options. And yeah, Louisville has been fun. And Jeff Brom, I mean, holy cow, you know what he's pulled off in this first season. I mean, it's going to be their first ACC title appearance um, since they moved to the conference. There's so much going on there. But yeah, the question is, of the teams that are left, if we have to eliminate one, they are the ultimate team chaos pick. Like they need a lot of things to happen for them to ever have a shot at getting into the playoff. And with everyone continuing to win, and I'm not sure we're going to see any surprises this week. Who knows? I I think they're probably the best one to be left off and, and, and one of the final removals from the island. Not the final, but one of the final removals from the island. Well, and, and I do want to always say, and I want to clarify, right, that uh, this is just one measure of success for a team. I mean... Louisville just won 10 games for the first time since uh, since Union General Theodore Bridgewater was uh, was the quarterback of this football team and they were playing in the Big East in one year in the AAC. Uh, this is a a tremendous season from Louisville. This is like you could not have dreamed that it would go as well as it's gone. And by the way, we've talked about it. It's actually been the defense that's carried them a lot of the time. The offense is still coming along. Jeff Brom is the head coach over there. They're going to figure out that offense at some point, and they're going to be very scary when they do. Uh, and again, it, it is conceivable that Louisville, if they beat Florida State, which looks much more on the table than it did at one time, uh, and some real chaos happens elsewhere, maybe uh, get a little help from Oregon State this weekend, uh, we could be in a weird position. But their path is the toughest. Their on this list, the least deserving of the top four. Louisville, you got 52.7% to plurality of the vote to 26 for Texas, 21 for Florida State. Louisville, sorry, you're out of here. You know, it's interesting, too, because, yeah, we'll, we can always revisit them if utter chaos erupts in the next two weeks, and we have to now plausibly come up with another team to add. But at this point, you know, on the benefit, they at least get some really cool bronze boots. I did not realize this, but they added a trophy in the offseason between Miami and Louisville because the legendary coach Howard Schnellenberger coached at both and they took an actual pair of his bronze, pardon me, of his cowboy boots and bronzed them. And that was the trophy <laughs> that the cards held up at the end of the game. So good for them. You know, we'll see how things turn out. Thank you for joining us on the island. All right. Uh, yeah. So legendary, uh, by the way, Oklahoma one year football coach Howard <laughs> Schnellenberger, you mean? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I, I love that one year he did there. And I hate, you know, and he started FAU's football program. So even in the end, he did some he did some interesting stuff there. So that let's see here. That leaves us with. How many teams now do we have nine? We have eight teams now. We have eight, eight teams. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how you've ranked them, because I, I just want to go over real quick. When Now that I, I was willing to do a kind of a reshuffle of everything. I still keep Georgia at the top because I was impressed by what they did with Tennessee. I moved up Ohio State. I had had Michigan above them. And at this point, Ohio State, to me, seems to be in the team. We'll get more into depth on that later in the show. Michigan, I kind of put them at number three, and I was tempted to move them even further down. Washington, I was willing to finally move back up from the number five spot. And based on winning in Corvallis in the driving rain in a game that was going to be ugly. And that's the type of game where the Beavers will drag you down and make you lose. Oregon, in my mind, moved up. So did Alabama. And yes, that means I put Florida State 
below those two one-loss teams. Only because if at this point, if I were to put them all on the same field, I don't know if I would if I would give Florida State that edge. And then rounding it out with Texas. Um, you know, Shehan, I know you've written a little bit about the new quarterback up for Florida State. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Sure. Well, obviously, just to, you know, I think we're burying the lead a little bit. Jordan Travis out for the year with a lower body injury. Uh, he obviously has been a huge part of Florida State's success. So the the new starting quarterback for Florida State will be Tate Rotemaker. A, uh, he was actually the first player to commit to Mike Norvell whenever they joined Florida State. And uh, he was somebody who uh, Kenny Dillingham was the offensive coordinator at the time, really coveted during his time, uh, you know, was at Auburn for a year and then moved to Florida State and felt like he would be a good fit. And, uh, you know, he he hasn't played a lot. I mean, Jordan Travis has thrown more than a thousand passes in a Florida State uniform because he's been there for so long. Uh, but Rotomaker's kind of ridden the bench behind him, been a primary backup. Uh, he was part of an open competition two years ago to potentially win the job. Obviously, Jordan Travis held on to it. Uh, but, you know, things to know about Rotomaker. I, I mean, he's from Valdosta, Georgia. He uh, he played for Valdosta High School, which is a really, really good competitive Georgia high school football program. Um, played really well when he came in against uh, North Alabama, 13 to 23, threw for two touchdowns. Um, it's going to be different, right? It's going to be different. It, I don't think he gives the same level of playmaking ability that we've seen from Jordan Travis, but he's going to be a good enough game manager, especially at the beginning. They play Florida this week. That's going to be maybe a little bit of an interesting game. But um, but I think that, you know, you look at their receiving core with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. He, he just has to not mess up. And I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. So, uh, you know, to, to glance at my rankings just for a little bit. So I have Georgia at number one. I think that they've earned that. They're, they've played some not amazing opponents the last couple of weeks, but better than we've seen them play. And they've dominated the, that competition for the most part. At this point, I understand why people are still a little hesitant on them. I mean, how many games does Washington have to win before we take it seriously? They have won so many games. They picked up another one against Oregon State this past weekend. They beat Utah uh, the week before that. They have, I believe, four current CFP top 25 wins. That might change tonight on Tuesday night whenever the rankings come out. But at least three and potentially three top 15 wins as well in Oregon, Arizona and Oregon State's. I have them at number two. They have the best resume in the entire country, and it's not even that close. Number three, I have Ohio State, also a very good resume, went over Penn State, went over Notre Dame. Number four, I have Michigan. Uh, I don't... (laughs) Michigan is still such an enigma to me in terms of ranking them, Uh, but I think for me... They're, they've been more impressive than Florida State and Flor- and they have a comparable schedule to Florida State. So I think that I'm going to put them at four, Florida State at five, Oregon six. I still have Texas ahead of Alabama at seven and Alabama at eight. I don't have a huge issue with flipping those two teams, but uh, I, I think that they're close enough to me that I still think the head-to-head does matter. Absolutely. And it's going to be interesting to see if the, if the maximum among number of teams went out the how this playoff committee handles it, or especially if Alabama manages to give Georgia a loss. I'm absolutely fascinated to see how this all turns out. You know, um, moving on, I think we're next going to go a little bit into some of these Heisman contenders because we're getting to that crunch point. A lot of great performances this past weekend that I can't wait to get into. 
So we'll be talking about that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we've reached the time of year where we're looking at the Heisman race and we're starting to get some of these lead candidates. Shahan, what's your thoughts as we look at this this kind of crunch time for the award? Yeah, well, I think this is a good time to look at it because one, we're heading into the last week of the year, of course, and there are going to be some players who are going to be on our Heisman list who don't play on conference championship Saturday. And also, by the way, we're going to focus much more on the conference championship games whenever they come about. Maybe even do a legitimate game previews for each one of those but i think the other thing too is that this is as open a heisman race as i can remember heading into this final stretch uh obviously multiple players that are on playoff teams are involved on this i do want to start with one player though the i have some theories about why this is happening when you look at Jaden daniels at lsu Is he somebody who, to you right now, should be top of list? Is he somebody who's one of the contenders? How do you view Jaden Daniels at this point? That's such a good question, because in my mind, it's not only what he's done, it's how he's done it. And there's a couple of other factors there, too. It's kind of like the Caleb Williams at USC factor, and that seems only more evident now as this season went on. Is this a superstar player that's keeping this team in games where if he wasn't there, he would, you know, they would have lost it. I'm not sure if it would go quite as far as that, but the performances he's put up, especially the past two weeks, I mean, against Florida, everyone was talking about that game. You know, a couple of weeks ago, 606 total yards with, with five touchdowns, almost evenly split between on the ground and in the air. And then once again, I think with all the attention on a, a fairly stale schedule across the board, particularly in the SEC, I think some people may not even paid attention to what he did against Georgia State, you know, because it wasn't Georgia. But I mean, still, you know, he put up numbers. I remember when I saw the stats, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. You know, 25 of 30 passes, 413 yards, six touchdowns, and then 96 yards and two more touchdowns on the ground. Like that's those are like I have played. I grew up when the video didn't grow up. I mean, I played these video games in college um, when they were still coming out live. Those are the things you would kind of do just to mess with NCAA football and your old Xbox. I mean, I it's when you look at that stuff, that's that's a level of of cap- capacity of capability that puts him beyond being a, a simple game manager or someone who's good because he has good weapons around him. And he certainly does have some great weapons around him. But what he's doing is somehow transcending that. It's transcending being a part of a team and 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 becoming not only an individual in a negative, not saying in a negative way, but he's becoming such an individual that you have to you have to shape your view of the entire team around that one man. And his name is Jaden Daniels. And I think for that reason, he's in my top three. And and depending on if you're arguing, is it the best player versus the best player on the best team? I think he may have the best candidacy for winning the Heisman this season. 
So here's my issue, is that there's no question. I think that in a lot of these games, Jaden Daniels has carried LSU on his back. But he's carried LSU on his back to three losses in three of their four biggest games. And I'm certainly of the opinion that the Heisman is a narrative award. It's supposed to tell the story of a season. And obviously it can be, I mean, we saw in 2016, Lamar Jackson, they won obviously with three losses, but uh, you know, it, it was very much like this is, this is historic. This has never been done before type stuff that Lamar Jackson was doing. And Jaden Daniels is having a sensational season. There's no doubt about it. Close to 3,600 yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing. But, like, how much of it has come in meaningful games, right? I mean, we mentioned the Florida game. Florida was without a lot of their front seven in that matchup. He scored eight touchdowns against Georgia State. You know, like, I I don't know how much that does for me. Uh, 279 yards passing, three passing touchdowns against Army in a 62-0 victory. But then you look at Florida State, it's completing less than 60% of his passes, one touchdown, one interception. You look against Alabama, two touchdowns, one interception. Like, I, I, I just... And obviously the <laughs> Alabama game. game. <laughs> was that? Okay, the Ole Miss game, he was firing all cylinders, though. Let, he let's was, be and they lost. And they lost. Like, and it's not his fault. Yeah. It's not his fault, right? But, like, I feel like we don't have to talk about the quarterback of LSU like they're the quarterback of Louisville. They're, they're, it's not the same thing. Like, it's not. And obviously, this defense has not played well. But, like, the level of talent that he's working with is just a different level. It just is. Like, they are a more talented team than Ole Miss. And so, to me, the the reason that this is happening is because he there is no other contender from the SEC. Like, like this is the only guy who has any case from the SEC. And so, I, it feels like... I, I don't want to, like... Overstate. It feels like the media machine is getting behind him because it's like, well, that's the SEC guy. And so he should be number one on everybody's list. And I think he should be a finalist. I think he should absolutely be top five. I'm also the opinion, by the way, that uh, that five should always get to go to New York. I think that's one of my big takes is that I think that every single year, whether it's a group of five kid, it doesn't matter. We should have five every single year. But and, and he should be one of them and he should probably be top three. But I don't understand what the the argument for his story is. He's not putting up all-time stats. He's putting up extremely good stats for this year. But, like, are we going to put Caleb Williams on the list? Caleb Williams is putting up comparable numbers. And uh, and obviously, they lost five games. But, but if win-loss doesn't matter, why shouldn't Caleb Williams be back in New York? You know, uh, so for me, again, top three, uh, most likely. But he's much closer to three to me than he is to one. It's funny you bring that up because I also think Caleb Williams should have a shot there because because it's going back to what we talked about in a previous week, the Dennis Dixon, that Oregon thing. Sometimes there's a player who is literally the entire reason that team is if you took them out, then, yeah, they just completely fall apart. Like when Dixon fell at Arizona that that season and then the Ducks kind of fell off the map from being a cha- championship contender. So, no, I see that argument and I, I hear it. But at the same time, for me, just looking at the most valuable player right now he he would be that his argument for me because the more i thought about it it's so funny because i i came into my prep for this with a different opinion than what i came out with because i was coming into this going with good old bo nix i was i was thinking like you know what what can you ask for oregon's doing great elite team 
he, I, what he did to Arizona State couldn't have come at a better time for his candidacy. Suddenly, I remember, I think everybody saw that appear on their scoreline if they weren't watching the game. Halftime, 42 0. And you're like, did Arizona, pardon me, did Oregon just want to experience the feeling of, of what it's like to just destroy something? I mean, I, I don't even know what, I mean, the, the stats he produced against Arizona State in the first half were off the chart. So I'm wondering, I kind of went into this thinking like it's going to be now. And I think maybe perhaps it is now Nexus to lose at this point. But then I was thinking, okay, at the same time, Oregon is such a a well-balanced team all around. Offense, defense, passing attack, running game. We've had conversations in the past about how close that game was with Washington and which of those two teams seemed more talented and which team won. Um, And we'll probably at this rate get a rematch. but. It was funny because comparing those two, I've said, you know, actually, it's sort of funny we brought this up. I mean, imagine taking uh, Jane Daniels and putting them on Louisville. <laughs> they would be unstoppable because, you, as you said, the defense of Louisville is what's making them good. You take Jaden Daniels, you put them on any team. That team is going to have an offense that is off the chart, kind of like, again, taking Caleb Williams from Oklahoma and plopping them at USC. But at the same time, I can see the argument for Bo Nix being the best player on one of the elite teams, one of the national championship contender teams. And I want to know your thoughts on it, because I know you've been a little more hesitant about Mr. Nix. But after seeing that Arizona State performance, I, and especially considering how Michael Penix Jr. did against Arizona State at home, I'd love to hear your thoughts. No, it's a good question. And, you know, for me, I think that these two cases are very much intertwined. You mention it. I mean, Bo Nix, what he's doing right now is incredible. I mean, they are obviously demolishing teams. It's a complete team effort. And they're letting the offense flow through him in a lot of ways as well. I mean, 38 passes against Cal, 31 against USC, 29 against Arizona State. Like, they're kind of letting him be the focal point in a lot of ways, which is something that obviously I really like. The one thing... I just can't quit him is is Michael Penix. Like I can't quit Michael Penix. And the reason for that, and I've made this case multiple times before, but I don't think that they're out of everybody in the top 10. I don't think that there's a team that's more reliant on a single player than Washington is on Michael Penix Jr. We saw this by the way, in the Oregon game where he goes down the field and throws the game winning touchdown in two plays by far the best Heisman moment that anybody has had so far uh, this season. They've won 18 straight games under Michael Penix Jr., which is just absolutely insane. And again, the passing offense is the primary catalyst in them winning those games. And so you start having this conversation, and and look, this week against uh, Oregon State, he completed less than half of his passes. Like, that's real. It's a really good Oregon State defense, of course, but... You know, that's real. He did it was a messy to, game, too. It's the Penix's defense. It was a really messy game. No, really messy game. Uh, Oregon State got after him. They knew what they wanted to do. They made his life very difficult. He still threw two touchdowns in the win uh, and also ran for their other touchdown. So, like, he's found ways to win games in a way that I think is unique in the country right now. Uh, again, like, I don't think you watch this Washington team. And people have basically made the case in a lot of ways, that Oregon is a much more complete team than Washington. And I think that that's absolutely the case. The question is, well, if we're acknowledging that Oregon 
is better everywhere than Washington. But there's one factor of the game that, one, made the difference in the actual matchup that they played, and two, has led to 18 straight victories. And and this is not like a short-term thing. You look back across their schedule, they have wins over number 11, Oregon State, number 18, Utah, number 20, USC. Obviously, this is rankings at the time. Number Mm -hmm. eight, Oregon. And if you actually go look back at last year, too, he has a win over Quinn Ewers at Texas, by the way, in the Alamo Bowl, who were number 20 at the time. He has another win over number six, Oregon, last year, and another win last year over number 23, Oregon State. Like, they've done it. And it's been on the back of Michael Penix Jr. And I get his numbers at the beginning of the season created a bar for him that I think is impossible to to maintain in a lot of ways. But the fact that he's shown the ability to put up the big numbers and win and also do the little things and win. And by the way, this week they needed him to run more. So he did that and they won against a really good Oregon State team. I mean, at some point, we just have to give this player a little bit more credit. You know, the, hearing you talk about it made me realize that you could almost place Michael Penix Jr. as kind of the middle ground between Bonix being a quarterback on an elite team that is flowing through him, but could possibly do a lot without him um, if for some reason, you know, something happened. And... <laughs> and the opposite, the other extreme where you have Jaden Daniels, which is literally like the entire reason the LSU is even in some of the games that they are in. Um, it's that kind of that sweet spot. And again, you know, watching that Oregon State game, Penix had a great pass to Roma Dunze on third and three for 19 yards that iced that game and, and, and gave them the win. And so he showed in those moments, in those key moments, he can be that guy who wins the game. And he has that capacity. And that's something, as you pointed out, earlier on in this season, he was just lighting it up, but he was also showing what he could do. And he did against Oregon as well. So I think, luckily, we still have a little bit more football to be played. But I think what makes it so open is all three of these guys. And I think it's going to come down to those three. And I agree. I want it to be five. I I like the uh, I like the opportunity to to honor some folks, particularly like someone like Marvin Harrison Jr. I really don't think he's going to be able to have a, a any I mean we'll see how he does against Michigan and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does against Michigan but just in in, in this reality it's so doubtful that you're going to get a wide receiver you know uh sticking themselves out and getting into that Heisman finalist let alone Heisman win but at the same time you know I think the the top 3 between Daniels, Penix and Knicks is absolutely the best trio we've had you know I actually it was so funny too because I was tossing out a few more who I wouldn't mind seeing if they made a top five kind of situation. Um, But part of it was, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't have, you know, he did fine against Minnesota, which is a a strong defense for, to to be credit, not a great offense, but a a decent enough defense, but he didn't have a huge game there. Um, He was only, you know, which is only because they were able to, to spread the ball out a little bit. Jalen Milrow kind of, we all sort of just didn't pay attention to him because it was a a nothing burger game um, against Chattanooga. And Carson Beck has gotten better, but in my mind, Beck and Milrow are kind of setting themselves up for the preseason hype for their Heisman hopeful year, which will be next season. Um, But those three guys are my sort of like, I wouldn't complain if they were included in New York, but I'm kind of, it seems like things are sort of solidifying. How about you? What are your thoughts? I mean, are there other players you'd like to see in New York and who would be yours? 
Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. has a really interesting case because he just doesn't have the numbers, so he's not really going to be able to win it. But the impact on the team has been unquestionable. I mean, you look at the past couple weeks of the year, uh, three of the last four weeks, he's had multiple touchdowns. And, you know, he only had one against Minnesota, but still he had another one against Minnesota. Uh, He was the difference in the Penn State game. The the reason that Ohio State beat Penn State is because one of these teams had Marvin Harrison Jr. and the other did not. And so it's it makes it really tough. Maybe that's more of a case for a first-team All-America nod than maybe necessarily a, a Heisman nod. But he's somebody who, if, I mean, honestly, if he got some decent quarterback play, maybe would be in this conversation. I don't think that uh, he's the primary reason that he's not going to be in New York. Uh, you know, obviously, injury-wise, it's really unfortunate that uh, that we didn't get to see um, that we didn't get to see Brock Bowers all year long. I think that he would have had a great case if uh, if things kept going the way that they were going. But, you know, like you said, Carson Beck may be setting himself up for his 2024 Heisman run in the process. Milrow has obviously done such a tremendous job of playing himself back into the conversation, uh, benched uh, for, for the one game against South Florida, and since then has just been going absolutely nuclear. Uh, so I, I think that he's somebody who would make some sense as well to get into the conversation. You know, I'm trying to think even of some maybe like a group of five type guys who, have, who maybe have a chance to to get into the conversation as well. It hasn't been like a great individual year for the group of five, to be honest. Uh, you know, somebody who maybe makes some sense is like, Caden Salter's been awesome for Liberty, but I don't think he necessarily has a Heisman case necessarily. Austin Reed's been really uh, disappointing this year. So I I think that we are going to come down to that top three. And I'm curious at this point, what what would be your order for that top three? Well, I just want to say one quick thing. I, I kind of was jokingly thinking as I was compiling this. There, the G5 Heisman seems to almost be like should go to the player most likely to be poached in the transfer portal, um, which is a really, <laughs> really cynical way <laughs> to look at it. But um, like, who, who's going to get that call from Lincoln Riley? You know, hey, so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But no, I, you know, I went into this, as I said, wanting, expecting to put Bo Nix as number one. But at this point, I'm putting Jane Daniels as number one. Michael Penix Jr. is number two, and Bo Nix is number three. But I fully acknowledge that this is a very, very um, mobile grouping. This is very much, this is very dynamic, active. I could, I could see myself shifting these quite quickly. Yeah, I, uh, I did forget to mention, obviously, our real Heisman winner, which is Diego Pavia at New Mexico State, an absolute baller. But uh, for me, I go Penix one. He... He has to do it again. That's the big thing. He has to outduel Bo Nix again in the Pac-12 championship game, most likely. Obviously, there's still a lot on the table there. But uh, if he's able to do that, to me, he's the Heisman winner. Uh, number two, I go with Bo Nix. I think that his production over the past couple of weeks has been tremendous. He's been a huge part of that team. And similar sort of deal. He'll have the opportunity to, to outduel Penix in that title game as well. I mean, the reality is... I mean, we could see the number one versus number two uh, Heisman contenders in the Pac-12 championship game. What a way for the Pac-12 to go out. Uh, and then I have Daniels at three. Look, if if let's say let's say Oregon wins 
or let's say Washington wins the Pac-12 title game, right? And they are 13 and 0 and they go to the playoff. But Michael Penix is like 11 for 24 for 173 yards and a touchdown and interception, right? Like that, that wouldn't be enough. I think that that opens the door for Jaden Daniels to get back into the mix. But if he has a good game and if he's a big part of the reason, if not the reason that Washington wins the Pac-12 and goes to the playoff, I, I just think that we're overthinking this, man. I, I think that Michael Penix Jr. right now should be the front runner. Absolutely. You know, and you, you bring up probably the key point, which is that Pac-12 title game. LSU's just got Texas A&M and then they get to sit out and wait. And that's going to harm Jaden Daniels's ability to to possibly get the, the award. But the Knicks versus Penix, that's going to be uh, that's going to be an exciting game. I mean, I, I think of the last I mean, there have probably been more others, but I still remember, you know, this is going back quite a ways. The 2003 Orange Bowl, only because we got to see Carson Palmer and Brad Banks of Iowa which were the number one and number two vote getters in the Heisman race uh, go face to face. And that was, that was an exciting moment. It hadn't really, I don't think, I don't remember that may have been the first time that it ever occurred uh, where they actually, the Heisman was given out and then you got to immediately see those two guys square off against each other. That wasn't something that typically happened. I, we may have had more of that since um, particularly with the, the dynamic play we've seen across the board. But next, I think what we're going to do is take a look and really hammer down on the, well, I don't want to say the big game because that just happened, but the game, Ohio State and Michigan, next on a College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, so heading into this weekend, it's come up the game. They did it again. It's 11-0 versus 11-0. Number two versus number three, pending any funniness with the rankings. First time in the history of this series that they've been undefeated in consecutive seasons heading into the game. It's actually only the fifth time ever both teams have been undefeated heading into this match. It's arguably the golden age of this rivalry. I want to get your thoughts before we get into it, because we want to do kind of a bit of a, a deep dive, a drill down into it. But Shahan, what are your thoughts kind of overall? Well, it's an interesting one, right? Obviously, the one thing that's been like a teeny tiny little bit of uh, that's kind of hurt this over the past couple of years, there haven't been national championship implications, right? And and obviously, you know, I picked Ohio State to win the national championship heading into this season. Michigan is a lot of people's pick after the way that they've played so far this year. I think that would be a great way to really cap this off is if this game did have championship implications, if whoever won this game did play for a national championship. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to wait and see whether that happens. Um, but this, to me, has a case as one of the biggest ones ever for a couple of reasons. One, you have to look at, obviously, what Michigan is dealing with off the field. Jim Harbaugh is not going to be on the sideline for this game. And when you look at Michigan, the way that they've handled this whole process is as a team that understands this is their last ride. J.J. McCarthy could be off to the NFL after this season. They could lose a whole bunch of players, guys on the offensive line, guys on the defensive line, guys in the secondary. Uh, so they know that this is their big chance. Blake Corum, obviously a player who's going to be off to the NFL next year. Uh, and then you look at Ohio State. Could Ryan Day afford to lose three straight of these games? That has not happened since back when Michigan was a national championship team in 1997. So point is, 
I think that this is a must win for both of these programs. They cannot afford to lose this game. You know, Ohio State last year was able to get into the college football playoff despite losing this game. And really, I mean, should have beaten Georgia. But I don't think that's going to be the case this year. There are too many teams right now, right? We have eight in our discussion right now. I I think they would fall too far down the list, uh, even with that win over Notre Dame in non-conference. Michigan absolutely needs to win this game. If if they're an 11-1 team, they have nothing to hang their hat on other than, uh, you know, just because they don't have any sort of strength of schedule whatsoever. So must-win game. National championship implications on the line. I think a huge one for both of these coaches, obviously an interim staff as well for Michigan. Uh, This should be one of the most fun ones that we've seen in a while. And I hope the game lives up to it. You know, and and you bring up something interesting here because the the things that are at stake for both programs. um, First of all, just do a quick acknowledgement. Congratulations, Michigan, on your thousandth win, you know, being the first team to have achieved that. Some people were joking that they're going to take a loss at Maryland and it almost looked like they might just so they could try and go for that thousandth win against Ohio State. But they're going for a thousand and one. Um, but one thing that did strike me, and, and I agree with you that especially for Michigan and even heading into this season, the argument was before all the controversy started really taking over was this is the team that Harbaugh seems to have been really working on building. This is the team that is going to make that national championship push. And with just the normal team yearly attrition, it's just not going to be the same next season. So it's all aiming for this. This is going to be the best, his, his finest program. Meanwhile, for Ohio State, and it's so strange because I understand the dynamics. I mean, we see people come onto the message board at, at RCFB and Reddit and do things like it's a hate week and they all love it. They all buy into it. Both fan booths. They love just, you know, the Ohio state fans try to spell things without M, you know, the Michigan fans, I don't know, shake their keys or something, but going back to, you know, this, it's sort of like, I think Ohio state has actually the, it's going to sound weird. It has less to lose only because I think what Ryan day is building and has built at that program will be better and will be able to be as consistent in 2024 and beyond. Now, that still isn't going to please the Buckeyes faithful if he loses this game, and I'm not picking him to lose this game, but I'm saying it was interesting to kind of look at this and and the stakes and which team is more desperate. I think up until all of the chaos that started to happen off the field for Michigan, Maybe perhaps Ohio State felt a little more desperate heading into this game. But now I really do feel the roles have reversed. And it feels, especially seeing that odd performance against Maryland, that Michigan is now feeling the stress of what's happening. Because, I mean, they were doing such a great job. And I was talking about it last week. Like, they are doing such a marvelous job of keeping out all of this outside drama. And yet, here we go. We're starting to feel it slightly start to bleed in. I mean, there's only so much you can do. You know, on a lighter note, I mean, because I mean, without Harbaugh on the sideline, I thought, wouldn't it be really funny if Michigan decided to use this home game as the opportunity to introduce a new costumed mascot on the sideline who happens to be roughly the same proportions as Jim Harbaugh? Because it's not like they're going to have somebody following him around or even better. They should they should mess with Ohio State and do what they did on game day one year. And they had like the Oregon Duck come out with a head that looked like Lee Corso, like literally have a mascot that looks like Jim Harbaugh on the sideline, actually have him inside or not have him inside and absolutely play head games with Ohio State. But, (laughs) sorry, jumping that thing on the side, the thing that strikes me is we don't know what's going to happen 
before b- between now and game time. That's the most alarming thing about this. I mean, that's the most alarming, amazing, depends on what side of it you're on. We watched on Friday, you know, a series of agree. I, I can't remember exactly when the agreement was, but the Big Ten has agreed not to continue any more punishment or investigation against Michigan and just leave it in the hands of the NCAA. And Michigan has accepted the fact that Harbaugh will not coach, um, you know, these final games and, and heading into the Ohio State game. But meanwhile, they went and fired their linebacker coach, uh, former head coach Chris Partridge. I mean, there's so much going on that until the game kicks off, there could be another major shoe dropping that's going to potentially mess up the dynamic of one team or the other or or change the storyline that we're heading in. And as a if you're a neutral fan, if you just like the excitement, if you just like the entertainment value of college football, that's an amazing thing to have. But I think from a college football perspective, this is really confusing. This is this has got to be because, I mean, this is taking away, as we've just talked about, one of the most amazing, you know, regular season games. I mean, arguably the most amazing regular season game, at least pre uh, heading into it, that we've had all year with two 11 and 0 top three teams squaring off with the winner almost certainly favored heading into the Big Ten championship game against Iowa. But with that opportunity to be a playoff team and the loser also theoretically in the playoff race. It's it's stunning to me, all of these stories heading in to this matchup. No, it's a big one, I think. And it's one that will not just impact this year, but I think could potentially have long-standing impact on both of these programs. With that said, let's go ahead and get into it. So I'd love to know, looking at these programs, I was thinking to myself, which team, which player, I should say, on each team could make an impact. And when I was looking at Ohio State, one thing has absolutely changed the nature of that program, or at least changed how it's performed in the last several games. I mean, Penn State was a close game. We've talked about it. Marvin Harrison Jr. absolutely was the reason and the game breaker that made that go in the direction of the Buckeyes. But with Travion Henderson back and playing at full steam, I really think you know, he's arguably one of the best backs in college football when he's healthy. He makes that offense all the more dangerous. I think that he, his success against that tremendous Michigan State defensive front is going to make or break the Ohio State offense heading into this game. Because I think both defenses are great. We're going to have to see which offense is going to be able to step up. And I think he's going to be the most important part of whether or not that Ohio State offense can score points. Yeah, it's a great one to bring up. I think that you look at Ohio State over the past couple of weeks, they have been a different team with Travion Henderson in the lineup. Obviously, we saw some of the struggles that they had uh, down in the middle of the year. But the big thing is, right, everybody knows Marvin Harrison Jr. That's not a question. I think that what Travion Henderson gives them is potentially another game breaker, another player who can stretch the field just by taking a handoff. And so I I think that that's a great one uh, to to list as your most important Ohio State player. When I look at my most important Ohio State player, there's a couple different directions that I went with it, right? There's obviously players on offense who I think could be really significant, but I actually am going to look on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Ohio State's defense has been tremendous all year long. But we have seen a couple of injuries that have the potential to shake this game. Lathan Ransom, likely going to miss this game. Uh, Michael Hall, one of their starting defensive tackles, is out for this game. 
And so I'm going to go with Jack Sawyer at defensive end. And the reason I'm going to go with Sawyer is, one, I think he's going to have to play a bigger role in rush defense in this game with Michael Hall out. They're going to have to obviously bring in some backups out there. But he's also going to need to be a difference maker as, as a pass rusher. We've seen this is not the same kind of offensive line that Michigan has had the last two years. It's still a very good line, but they've been beatable. I, I mean, Penn State got after them, made J.J. McCarthy's life really, really difficult. They are better blocking against the run, and that's where I think Sawyer needs to be a difference maker. He needs to set a strong edge. You look at Blake Corum. I mean, I think this last game against Maryland is a perfect example. He is so good at being patient and not going down with that first hit. So he will bounce anything out to the outside and turn what could be a two-yard run into a 12-yard run. That's going to be on Jack Sawyer to, to figure out. You know, we obviously know that JT Tuimolau uh, has obviously, you know, he's a big-time player. He's going to be potentially a first-round NFL draft pick. Jack Sawyer has been the piece that I think has grown over the course of the year. And if Ohio State is going to win this game, I, I think that they have to make Michigan's job just a little bit more difficult. Now, with, with that said, who's your most important Michigan player heading into this game? It's funny because the way I, I was looking at these, because I said Trayvon Henderson, and that's because I'm, I'm bullish on him and his ability to, to open up that offense and potentially do some damage on his own. I'm actually now looking at it almost from a, if he he needs to not mess up situation. And that's JJ McCarthy. So I think he is the most important player for Michigan, but my expectations from him now have shifted over the last few weeks. It's no, can he step up and have that Heisman moment? I think that that ship has sailed in my mind and maybe don't get me wrong. He can prove me wrong and he could suddenly get himself back into the whole, the whole circle of, of discussion. But at this point, especially with what we saw with that mediocre game with Maryland, I mean, he completed just 52% of his passes, had an interception in the end zone, and, and seeing how he was used. I mean, the previous week they ran it 34 times in a row, which only made you wonder about the faith they had in their own quarterback. Um, and the third factor is, pardon me, it's like he's played a lot better when Harbaugh's been on the sideline. A lot of folks have been making that connection, and he's clearly not going to be on the sideline for this game. So can J.J. McCarthy be that player, be that that uh, field marshal to to can keep that offense moving. Because um, I know Blake Corum can perform, but I can't entirely rely on him, especially if he's going up against a tough defensive front on the other side of the ball. So JJ is going to have to be the one to step up and and create some level of of a balanced offense that can force the uh, the Ohio State defense and not focus in and drill down on any one part, but. I'm curious to know if you have a different take on it. I, I was surprised at myself because I'm like, it, it's amazing how a couple of weeks can change things. Because I was very much thinking Michigan was going to potentially run away with this game or at least win and edge out Ohio State. Now I'm like, well, here's what they would need to do to be competitive, which sounds weird to say aloud. But again, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating it. I think that when you ask questions like this, it is so lazy to say the quarterback like, of course, every game relies on the quarterback. But you have to say the quarterback in this game. I, I think that J.J. McCarthy 
is the most important player on the field. You said it. Over the last two weeks, they have completely sidelined him. Only eight pass attempts uh, in the win over Penn State. Uh, and then last week, like you said, completing half of his passes, throwing in a, a key interception in the red zone. Really, I, you know, I think you could make the case being the primary reason that Maryland was able to stick around in that game. He's gone from, like you said, being somebody who people were talking about as as an All-American or a Heisman contender to somebody who looked over the last two weeks like a below-average Big Ten quarterback. Well, that's not true. Below-average college football quarterback. The Big Ten is its own animal. But I think that uh, when you look at this game, I, I mean, I'll turn the clock back to last year. J.J. McCarthy only completed 12 of 24 passes in the win over Ohio State, but three were breakaway touchdowns, and that was enough. He has to be a force that elevates Michigan in this game. Game managing is not good enough. This team is not good enough to have a game manager at quarterback and and compete against the best teams in the nation. And I mentioned it too. This is not the same kind of Michigan offensive line that I expect to just bowl over Ohio State's defensive line, especially with the way that Ohio State is playing right now on the defensive side of the ball. So to me, J.J. McCarthy is the reason if Michigan finds a way to win this game. He has to throw for multiple touchdowns. He has to be a factor in the running game, I think, as well, just to stretch the field. He has to make plays on the throw. He has to play like a Heisman Trophy contender in order for Michigan to win this game. I mean, they have just not looked very good over the last two weeks since they started to play legitimate competition. And, you know, it's an interesting point, right? I mean, Sharon Moore, of course, offensive coordinator, is the acting head coach right now, the interim head coach with Jim Harbaugh, uh, obviously suspended. They have a quarterback's coach, Kurt Campbell, but, you know, obviously even last year, right, Matt Weiss was the guy before uh, before he was obviously let go for off-field issues as well. So you kind of wonder what kind of role is Jim Harbaugh playing, maybe even as a quarterback coach, down-to-down, play-to-play, whenever uh, he's kind of helping J.J. McCarthy. And there's been no bigger fan publicly of J.J. McCarthy than Jim Harbaugh. And you wonder, with Harbaugh gone, does Sharon Moore, as an offensive coordinator, have as much faith in his quarterback as Harbaugh does? And one other piece of this, too, I mean, Sharon Moore is having to deal with the responsibilities of play calling, offensive line coaching, and being a head coach. So how far down the list of priorities is J.J. McCarthy heading into this game for Sharon Moore with how much he has to deal with. So it's a lot of factors to take into account. Look, Sharon Moore has won both games that he's coached, and I think that he's made some critical coaching decisions that have allowed them to do it in both of those games. But I think to to beat a team like Ohio State, we're going to need to see J.J. McCarthy at his best. Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points there. And, you know, at least, and one side note, I know looking at the Maryland game, one of his best weapons to receive was Roman Wilson. He got dinged, but it sounds like he will be there for the Ohio state game, but it was that Michigan defense that kept them in that game. I mean, the Michigan defense had a touchdown, a safety and a forced safety. Cause it was a, uh, it was a, uh, um, uh, pardon me. It was a, uh, uh, intentional grounding in the end zone. But at the same time, I mean, because I, I was actually looking at it, it was my, uh, Maryland's quarterback, uh, Tonga Vailoa. He was responsible for 11 of Michigan's points in that game, which was 31-24. You know, the remarkable thing is up into that game, now you can say, because both teams are 11-11, 21 of 22 games, those two programs have held their opponents to under 20 points. The only exception was this this past weekend. But, you know, you brought up Sharon Moore, and that's actually something that's been kind of 
kind of an X factor in my head in this game because has he been pushed a little too too far forward with, you know, we were talking about that kind of heading into last weekend, you know, no program has had more experience with running themselves without their head coach on the sideline than Michigan. I mean, they had three games at the beginning of the season. Now they've had two games. But at this point, and I'm not sure what factors are coming in here and, and affecting Michigan to the point where we're like wondering if they're really entirely at their maximum capacity. Is it because he's being pushed a little bit beyond his limits because he's wearing so many hats right now? Because this wasn't something where, you know, he's not the interim head coach or something where it's like, no, they've just given him the complete keys to the kingdom. It's like, no, he's actually kind of just the, the on game day running the sideline and running, wearing his other hats. And part of me wonders if, it, if they had lost to Maryland, which they didn't, or if they lose to Ohio State, how much of this is going to fall on disproportionately on his shoulders? Are people going to say like, oh, it's because Moore was coaching and it wasn't Harbaugh. And I, I kind of am almost worried, like, is he getting put in a position where he's taking so much of this attention? Because um, and, and conversely, if, if they because after that first game, they looked so stellar. Everyone's like, oh, wow, look, they're not missing a beat. You know, uh, Moore's there and look at them. They just ran it a bunch of times and crushed Penn State. Now I'm wondering, is this a situation where um where, yeah, a little bit too much is falling on his shoulders and you can't just run it 32 times or 34 times in a row and hope it's going to work. There's so much of that kind of going in there. You know, before we get too into the depths of sort of the overall themes, what are some of the matchups that have, have got your attention in this particular game? Yeah, I think for me, uh, the top matchup is going to be J.J. McCarthy versus the Ohio State secondary. So like I mentioned, Lathan Ransom, one of their key players, is going to be out in this game. The projected starter in his place is a freshman, Malik Hartford, uh, somebody who they're really excited about, but still a, you know, obviously a freshman, somebody who hasn't played in this game. Uh, he's going to be starting next to Sonny Styles, who's been really good, and Josh Proctor's going to be back, and he's a big-time player for Ohio State. And, and by the way, I, looking at things based on the depth chart that's projected right now, it looks like potentially Michael Hall could be back. It, it's a little up in the air right now at defensive tackle, but... I think that when you look at last year's game, it was just straight up mental lapses that cost Ohio State that game. There's no other way to put it. If they play fundamentally sound football, then Ohio State wins that game. They were down to down the better team in that football game. But they obviously made those three critical mistakes that led to three Michigan touchdowns. Uh, now they have a safety back there uh, who's a freshman. And so how are they going to be able to do it? You know, you look at, uh, at you look obviously at Jim Knowles, one of the biggest proponents of a, of a three safety shell of playing five defensive backs of playing kind of more of a, I don't want to call it the spread defense, but like, I think that there are some aspects to that. And that's a defense that's really built to, to keep up with the fastest and biggest uh, offenses in college football. It's a different kind of challenge when you play them, obviously, against uh, a physical team like Michigan. So, you know, we mentioned it, right? J.J. McCarthy and that Michigan passing game has been a big factor all year. They've struggled the last two weeks. I think that if this turns into a game played in a phone booth, I don't like that for Michigan. I, I don't think that uh, I, that Michigan's offensive line is, again, that same kind of unit that it's been in years past. I, I think that J.J. McCarthy needs to be kind of that force that spreads out the defense and Ohio State's five uh, defensive back shell has the ability to take that all away so 
I, I think that that's the biggest matchup I'm watching in this game. The reality is I don't think that Michigan can run the ball 34 straight times to beat Ohio State. I don't think it's going to work like that. Yeah, no. And I'd say the only thing, and I agree with your assessment there, the other matchup that's got my attention is going to see how Blake Corum does against the defensive front for Ohio State. Because looking at the Notre Dame game and the Rutgers game, they were able to still, those two programs were able to rush the ball against Ohio State fairly well. Obviously not well enough to, to win, but you know Notre Dame came fairly close, but for some arguably some coaching errors on their side and some, some uh, uh, own goals. But at the same time, Blake Corum's going to be the best running back they're going to have seen this season. So that will be another aspect for Michigan that could keep them going. But again, not 34 times in a row, but certainly an opportunity to potentially break it forward. Another odd factor in this, and, and I didn't really, I was looking at some of the numbers and some of the stats. I did not realize Ohio State's special teams are really kind of not the greatest. And in a game where we might see a defensive battle, where, you know, it, it's going to be see, you know, what kind of field position we're going to be on. They rank 115th in FBS in punt return defense. That's, that's not good against a team that is overall as talented as Michigan. The 110th in punt returns, 71st in kick returns. 47th in kick return defense. So the Ohio State special teams might be a factor, at least in the field position game, particularly um, late game. And, and if this game gets close, that could be a difference, especially playing in the big house, because they're going to be absolutely raucous in there. And that's going to be, I think, a factor that could potentially one that is sort of on the periphery that isn't being paid as much attention to heading into this game. No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Ohio State fans have had a lot to say about their special teams coordinator, Parker Fleming. Kind of ironic uh, that there's a there's also a college football analyst named Parker Fleming. I've done a show with the other Parker and I'm like, poor guy. Like, imagine <laughs> that. Not, I'm lucky. We, you and I, Shehan, no one ever says like, oh, no, that 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 football coach, Bob Akhairi, you know, like, oh, really? Oh, there's two. I'd be like, I just want to go give him a hug at that point if there was another, you know, but uh, I, there's like, yeah. I, I never run into that problem. I don't know why. Uh, there, there are. I will say there are a handful of other Shahans that are notable. Uh, it's it's an it's not a common Sri Lankan name, but it's not an uncommon Sri Lankan name. So there is a politician named Shahan. There is a Sri Lankan cricket player named Shahan. Uh, of course, cricket. Of course, cricket. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's a Sri Lankan author also named Sean. And so yeah. uh, I think I think right now, when we started this podcast, I'm pretty sure that I ranked number three among the Shahans and Twitter followers. I think now I'm up to number two, but it, we're still working our way up. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a personal Twitter account, so it's really funny. But I uh, there was a guy at JPL uh the jet propulsion laboratory that was overseeing one of these mars or whatever like satellites and he had this wild hair he had like a mohawk and in the the short kind of cropped hair he had kind of a stars dyed into his hair and his first name was bob x spelled like mine because here's the weird thing i actually have the minority spelling of my own name and it's not even all it's like your name like it's a persian name but it's not like super common and because you're taking a totally different alphabet and romanizing it you know 
it's usually B-A-B-A-K. And uh, I went, my parents went with the other spelling because my dad's nickname was Bob. And if you add an act to it, it's Little Bob. So, you know, it's a kind of a late, that's not what it actually means in Persian. It's not like, oh yeah, Little Bob, you know, but um, anyway, okay, we're getting kind of <laughs> getting a little far afield there. I, um, I, but, I do uh, have an update. I do have an update. Uh, so I did pass the Sri Lankan Minister of Finance in Twitter followers, but now there's a crypto bro named oh, Shahan no. who has more followers than me. So uh, it's only by a little bit. I'm, I'm close to 16,000. He's at 18.5. So we got to get my numbers up, guys. We got to get me up to number two yeah, so I can only be... numbers. That's all I got to say. I'd be curious how <laughs> I, many of those are. Oh, I'm well, sure anyways, they're... I'm not going to get into... I'm not going to pick a fight with the crypto so, universe. So I'm, I'm within striking distance, though, <laughs> of Shahan Jayasuria, the professional cricketer. He's got 23.5. So, again, keep on moving, guys. we got to mobilize. I <laughs> love it. Um, you know, so kind of as we kind of just slowly start to wrap this up, what are some of the X factors for you heading into this? Who, who do you think what or not even who do you think has got the edge? What are the biggest factors affecting this that we haven't really addressed? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I look at an X factor uh, on the field, again, I, I think that it's going to be how does Kyle McCord react to the moment, right? He has to, I mean, we haven't talked about Ohio State's quarterback during this entire segment. And part of it is because, I mean, again, we did a, a ranking of quarterbacks uh, a few weeks ago. And he was second to last on our list of contenders. And that was when Drew Aller was last place on our list. I mean, the fact that, uh, or, or I think it's third and second to last. I think we had Jack Plummer, unfortunately, in last place. But he has not been a weapon for them at all. He has been, I don't want to go as far as saying a liability, but he has been more of a reason that they've struggled than a reason that they've stepped forward. He was a five-star quarterback recruit. He was seen as the next in line whenever he committed to this program. Ryan Day picked him over a handful of really, really talented players in his same class. Uh, I believe, was it J.J. McCarthy who's in the same class? I think it was. So, I mean, like, this is somebody who Ohio State was really excited about, and he has not come through so far. But now we're in a situation where he has the opportunity to rewrite his own story in a lot of ways. And, uh, and and I think that if he's able to handle that moment, which is no guarantee, I think that he has the ability to kind of get back into the good grace of Ohio State fans. I mean, there's no question about the talent. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking right now at their uh, at the quarterback rankings for the class of 2021. A really good class, by the way. Number one, Quinn Ewers. Number two, Caleb Williams. Sam Heward. Drake May, another fantastic player. J.J. McCarthy was number six. Kyle McCord was number eight. So it, it's been a good class. Jackson Dart, number 13. Jalen Milrow, number 14. So he's got to step up, man. This is his moment. And uh, and again, you talk about players maybe putting themselves in the Heisman conversation for the next year. This is where he elevates himself is in this game. So, uh, it, and when I, so that's my biggest factor on the field. I think off the field, it's just can Ohio State keep their composure? You know, our, our old co-host, Doug, obviously uh, used to be someone who's covered Ohio State for a very long time. Well, I think that when you look at uh, Ohio State, a phrase that he used is that in year one, Michigan won this football game. In year two, the rivalry beat Ohio State. They were not prepared for what was going to happen, for what kind of juice they needed to come in with. And uh, and they kind of just expected to roll over. I think that you look at Ryan Day this whole season, down to him yelling at Lou Holtz, this whole season has been about the rivalry. And that can be a great thing. 
it can help you elevate yourself. I think that we saw that Oklahoma, for example, a, an inferior team winning against Texas earlier this year because they understood the rivalry moment. But you also have to, to keep yourself composed. Is Ohio State going to be able to be focused and composed and play good fundamental football in this game? Uh, if they do, I, I mean, I don't want to overstate. I don't because Michigan is 11-0 and has won all these games, has won two back-to-back uh, Big Ten titles. I think this Ohio State team is better. And I think that if they are able to keep their heads, which they weren't able to do last year, they should be able to win this game. You know, it's it's funny listening to you talk about Ryan Day. I don't know why in my head I started to think of Captain Ahab. Is 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 Michigan his white whale or Harbaugh his great white whale? Like I, I don't want to hear what he has to say about Lloyd Carr. If, uh, if you know, I am Michigan. going, I am going to go out there and then destroy this whale, Michigan, no matter what it takes. But I, I think he's more composed than that. It's just it's so funny when you got into that. I'm like, you know what? That's actually kind of a fun analogy. I want to know where Rich Rodriguez is right now. <laughs> he, hey, he's got Jacksonville State bowl eligible. That's all I got to say. That's right, true. Maybe this is more of a Brady Hope conversation. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, um, who's now retired? Gosh, it's so funny to think about. Where are they now? Um, you know, one thing I will say about uh, Kyle McCord, I think the the thing that has impressed me is that offense of Ohio State is, is continuing to just chug along. And they've been doing well. And again, as I said, Travion Henderson's a big part of that. But, you know, Minnesota, that Minnesota game, and, and as I said before, Minnesota's offense is terrible, but their defense has been fairly solid, and they were able to put up some decent points, a nice balanced attack with, with, between Henderson, McCord, and with throwing the Harrison and Ekbukba. But, I mean, they've, as a team, managed to outscore the last three opponents 110 to 22. So I think that, in my mind, has also taken some of that, 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 that pressure off of McCord. The one thing I'm kind of curious about, and and this is where who steps up in the rivalry game. As you said, this would be a great opportunity for McCord to set himself up heading into the, the final games of this season and also heading into the next season. But if J.J. McCarthy can step up and suddenly become having that game, which players have been known to do in rivalries, he has, I think, a bigger upside. I think he, we've talked about it. We thought he had more potential than Drew Aller did, you know, especially at this stage in their careers. He would potentially be that extreme because I mean and Sam Hartman I just want to go back because of all the quarterbacks they've played Sam Hartman has been a bit of a disappointment when you look at the entire season at, at Notre Dame I think there was a lot more hope for him over there and I'm not sure what to make of it but tabling that aside because Ohio State I don't think they've yet to face a truly strong quarterback like if they were to make it through here and get into the playoff then potentially you might get a Bo Nix or Michael Penix or someone who can really throw the ball against you and, and and they haven't really been tested against that so if JJ McCarthy has a game where that X factor pops up and suddenly he's like I'm gonna now step up and and you know take over the game can they can they be it, can they handle that kind of uh, a quarterback play? And that that might be an interesting X factor I wouldn't expect. But at the same time, I could see plausible given all the things that go into the what makes rivalries beautiful. No matter what, no matter what team you're for, no matter what side you're on, no matter what, it's wonderful to be a neutral in these situations because you can watch and go like, oh my gosh, that that dude just had a game, balled out, completely turned into another level, and became the hero of their program and the uh, and the the nightmare of the other one. Um, but yeah, I think this is really interesting. But you know, let's kind of slowly wrap this up. What what are your predictions for this game? It's a good question. So I think, you know, look, this is a game at Michigan. This is a game that Michigan really wants. 
This is a game that Michigan prepares for all year. But I think that Ryan Day has finally started to understand what this rivalry is all about. And for that reason, it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't expect a lot. I think that it probably looks less like the Ohio State-Michigan game last year and a little more like the Penn State games this year. Because you look at Michigan and Ohio State right now, they have a Penn State-quality defense or better. And both of their offenses struggled against Penn State's defense. So bet the under if you're a betting man in this kind of game. I think that we're looking at something like a 23-17 to Ohio State victory. And that would be the worst for Michigan because that probably means they have the ball with a chance to win the game down the stretch and aren't able to convert. But I think that that's what ends up happening. I think that uh, Ohio State can't afford to lose three of these things in a row. I think that Ryan Day has spent the last 364 days with Michigan front of mind to the detriment at times of how they've played against other teams, by the way. And I think that we're going to see Ohio State come out with a whole bunch of stuff in this game that they haven't released so far this year. So it's going to be a good one. And, and I want to be clear, like Michigan, one could bowl over Ohio State. We've seen them do it before. Two, we could see also J.J. McCarthy unleashed in a way that we haven't before. But I don't like the way that that's trending. I like much better the way that Ohio State's trending. Ohio State 23-17. Yeah, I was looking at this. I see defensive battle and whichever team can get any kind of big play will triumph, whether it's a really deep pass to a Marvin Harrison Jr. or a series of you know, breakout runs by Blake Corum. I'm not sure exactly how it'll turn out, but I agree. I'm leaning towards Ohio State. I think these teams are so used to playing each other in a certain way that inevitably it's going to end up being a kind of game where they drag each other down to the mat and try to strangle each other. And we're going to either end up with a drowned ferret or a drowned psychopath to borrow a really bizarre uh, analogy from earlier in the season, but I, I, I actually had a, it's so funny. Our scores are similar. I thought it was going to be closer though. So I have Ohio state by three 20 to 17. So you gave him an extra three points. I don't know <laughs> if they get that extra field goal in, but I think it's going to be definitely less than a touchdown. So I think we're really in the same zone, but I think this is going to be a, a frustratingly close game as you, you know, I love how you phrase that. S- Michigan might very well have the ball and just not be able to make it happen. Um, I could see this game being a dramatic and it's going to be fun for all in all. In, well, not all involved, but all of us who are watching at home and covering the game. It's going to be an absolute blast. No, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see it. So, Shahan, before we wrap up here, you know, we've been exchanging questions. And here's one I have for you, because I know especially in this day and age, sometimes we're in the stadium covering a game. Sometimes you're at home just kind of running all the different programs, all the different games that are going on. But on game day, I know for me, it's always a question of how on earth am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? What do I want to eat on college game day? What's your ideal like sustenance for a Saturday where your entire life is about one thing and it's college football? (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh yeah it's a uh, we've had some bad answers to these questions over the years uh you know whether it's uh heading over to you know whatever wendy's or something like that and i'll tell you that is not ideal sustenance by any means um 
I mean, okay, so I think that you got to split it up. You got because you got a, a, a lunch and you got a dinner, and I think that lunch you lunch you got to to do something like healthy. You got to do something that can sustain you. So I, I don't want to go like all like grain bowl or anything like that, but like, you know, something that's like uh something that's like bowl based, like a taco bowl or something like that uh, tends to be really good. Something with rice, something with protein. Uh, Cause you got to get through the day at that point. Dinner. Um, I mean, you're just, you're just flying out, uh, you know, by the seat of your pants trying to get through the day. That's pizza. That's that's all pizza in the evening. I think that's a, for me. That's the ideal thing. Can get it delivered. Don't have to go out. I will also mention, you know, again, like uh, in the past, my wife would sometimes like try to make something for one of the meals. Uh, she is quite pregnant right now, so that is not a factor that we are looking at right now. We are not asking her to do too much, uh, and so yeah, pizza pizza at dinner is uh, is, is the way to go. Just make it easy. Hey, I've got a couple of kids. So I know in your situation, you're actually she's the one asking for like, you know, I want, you know, the, the weird craving food or whatever. And, and you're going you're the one who's going to go out and get it. The game can wait. Yes. You've got TiVo. You can pause it. You can go get it. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, for me, it's so funny. I, it's as it's weird as it is to sound. I almost reverse it sometimes. I actually don't care what I eat for mm. lunch as long as it's not like crazy heavy. Like I'm not going to have something that's going to cause me to go in like a, a nap mode or something like that because a I don't nap. It's like uh, when I nap, it's like you're rolling a big circle of, of fortune and, you know, five of the seven spots are like you're going to be miserable when you wake up and going to be worse off. But I, I don't mind. I'll eat anything like whatever for dinner. I like to eat clean because I like to stay more focused. I just don't want to have because I, I, especially I tend to stay up to cover and make sure we got all of the West Coast games, all the Mountain West games and and the Hawaii test. I love them, you know, so, I, you know, I, I got to stay up. So for those, I tend to actually eat a little healthier. I might order sushi for delivery or um, or even a sandwich, like a nice, clean, like simple sandwich. Um, but yeah, it's so funny because over the, over the years, I don't know why. And also I think maybe this is age coming in, eating lots of oily food at night. I hate it. Like I feel miserable. I can't sleep. Um, age sucks. That's all I got to say. That That's my <laughs> takeaway for all of you. I'm 44 years old. I remember what it was like being in my early twenties. I remember what it was like being in college. I remember what it was like to just, eh, I'll just eat anything. Um, now I'm like, yeah, I can eat anything, but there's, there's, there's things that happen in your, you like in your esophagus that you're like, why, why does that happen to me? I don't know. Well, yeah. there I mean, you go. Gosh, so the, that, that's the, why I, I like to eat clean in the evening, but yeah, what a no, the, the, Clinton, the, the Clinton administration sounded crazy. That's wild. Oh, man, that 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 was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, hey, tell me, Grandpa, what was it like in the grunge era? <laughs> oh, man, I, I remember Nirvana. It's so weird because, I, again, I teach, you know, college class on the side. And I remember the year it passed where I realized all my students were born after um, Kurt Cobain died. And now I realize yep. they're all born after 2000. And that's what also scares me. After 9-11. How much time has passed since the first time I asked myself that question? Because now we're talking about <laughs> events that I was already <laughs> quite old by the time they happened. But, oh, my goodness. Well, on that, that visit to mortality, on that note, um, we will head into this. <laughs> well, we're not going to head into this weekend. we got at least one more show this week, but we're going to wrap this up. I just wanted to take a second to thank all of you who listen to us and, and send us your feedback. It's always wonderful to hear from you, however you send it to us. I want to thank our producer, 
Joey Aliberti. I want to ask you all to be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As always, you can find this on X, a.k.a. Twitter, at CFB Survivor Show, where you can vote in our polls and also send us messages as you'd like. I'm Bob Ekhairi. He's Shehan Jayaraja. You can always find his work on CBSSports.com. This is the College Football Survivor Show. We'll catch you again soon. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.